I wanted to let you guys know what to expect for the Disciple Henson podcast in the coming weeks. There is still time to submit your questions for video games in The Christian with Kyle and Anthony, which we hope to record in the coming days. Thank you for those who have already submitted excellent questions or thoughts. And then we plan to have a conversation with Vonnie Hewitt on talking to an elder. What we mean by this is how to think about approaching an elder when you need help with something. Uh, It could be something sensitive or just something, a wisdom issue in your life. Vonnie thought it might be helpful to share from her experience and perspective how to think about when and how to pursue a conversation with an elder. So I'm looking forward to that conversation with Vonnie. But this last Sunday, we had the privilege of having Josh Sofair, that's Josh Sofair from Jews for Jesus with us, and what follows is an edited recording from his address on Sunday night, January 23rd. You will hear me introduce Josh, and then we also recorded part of the Q&A with you, the congregation. I hope you enjoy. The last time um, I was here in Portland was the week that COVID hit us all, and we were all scrambling around trying to figure out what to do and and where to buy masks and toilet paper and all of the other things that we were missing. Um, and so it's it's just really wonderful to be back here. Um, if you if you don't know me. My name is Josh Sofer, and I work uh, on staff. I'm a full-time missionary with Jews for Jesus. Uh, I am a Jewish believer in Jesus. I've served um, for just about 30 years on our staff, mostly on the East Coast, uh, in the New York City area, and now for the last 10 years or nine years in the Los Angeles area. Um, We moved here to Portland in 2012, the kind of 2011-2012 school year, and I was at Western Seminary um, working on some classes, and our family came, and we were members here. And it was encouraging to me this morning to see a young woman, I'm not sure she's here, but who's leaving in two months and became a member. And that was a little bit about our story. We were here for... For a year, we were members for maybe six months, um, and then we moved. And uh, it, it is really remarkable to me how much God did in our lives in those six months. And it was, um, it's, it's a joy, um, really, to think back and to see what God has done. And so it's really wonderful for me to come back and to speak and to talk about something that I love. And so with evangelism, we're just talking about connecting with the world around us. It's nice to know that this is a bookend. What I'm going to do tonight is have more of a conversation with you than preach a sermon. So this is going to be a lot of me talking, sharing with you some things that we are doing, some things that I have learned over the years um, after doing a lot of evangelism, and I think some ways that, that I believe that we can help. So what we are going to do tonight is to talk about um, what, what I would say is probably the most important thing in the course of evangelism is to understand and to be active in terms of being empathetic. Now, is the gospel essential? Of course the gospel is essential. Is your own life as a person of character, um, your own growth, is that essential? 
Of course that's essential. All of these, these are some obvious ones, but when we're talking about engaging and connecting with other people around us, understanding who they are is absolutely essential. And in the course of evangelism, in the course of sharing the gospel, I think one of the biggest challenges has come when a person is sharing a message and they fail to understand the audience that they're actually talking to. The message they understand very, very clearly, right? They're right on. I mean, you, I don't know if this resonates with you at all, but it certainly resonates with me because this is so much of my experience of me, of sharing and really misunderstanding what's going around us. So, you know, what are, when I'm talking to people, and some of this is basic communication, so I'm just going to go through this first part fairly quickly. You know, what are, what are people thinking about? What are people happy about? What are people afraid of? Um, to what extent do we idealize the people around us? To what extent do we think they idealize us? <laughs> which is probably more than they actually do. Um, what are some of the concerns that people have around us? Um, in, my, in my context, in talking to Jewish people about Jesus, um, it's very often that people kind of misunderstand what are some of the hopes and values of the Jewish community. For example, uh, the holiday of Purim, which we talked about in the youth group this morning, is about the book of Esther, but for Jewish people, the holiday of Purim and the book of Esther is all about Jewish survival. It's all about an opportunity to talk about not just ancient persecutions of, G of Jewish people, but modern ones. And when you read in the news, like we read a week or two ago about this synagogue in Texas, the answer is, there you go. So when we talk uh, to, if you talk to a Jewish person about the book of Esther and you talk about God's providence, that is true, but it's not going to be the first thing that a Jewish person has in mind. The first thing they have in mind is to think of this through the lens of survival. And that's not I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it starts with this um, general sense of, of understanding. Again, are the people that you're talking to, do they have a sense of themselves as being rejected? Do you sense to the sense of themselves as being uh, alone, part of a group, all these things? You kind of, this is some basic stuff, right? But it's surprising how easy it is to overlook these basic communication standards, right? These ideas, listening, all of this. So when you're, when you're looking at a, a culture, which I'm a missionary, right? This is what we do. You look at a culture, you try and look at things like the markers of a culture. What are the food that people eat? What is the language that people use? What is the dress that people use? Who are the heroes? Who are the leaders? Who are the authorities? All of these kind of cultural questions really come into play in evangelism. Okay, that's often where we start. So, give you an example. Guy comes up to me, right? 
um, Christian, Bible-believing Christian, knows the Lord, knows the gospel, and just says, you know, why don't Jewish people believe in Jesus? Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> I say, yeah, he was. Well, what's the problem? Uh, I, I, and I want to say, you got a couple of hours? Maybe I can help you understand. Um, so there's a real disconnect often between what we imagine is going on in the life of a person and what actually is going on in their life. We think we know what someone is thinking about Jesus, about the gospel. We understand what's happening when, in fact, there's something completely different going on in their mind, okay? And so um, this is a challenge. When we're going out, I think for me, and I would really hope and encourage for, for, all, for you and for all of us, that what is grounding us in even our attempt and even our desire to go out is this very, very basic scriptural um, idea, this very, very basic spiritual idea, this very basic gospel truth. He first loved us. Christ initiating love for us, reaching out to us before we deserved it, before we desired it, is the foundation really of what evangelism is about. You see this idea echoed through scripture right? God calling to Adam and Eve, hey, where are you hiding? Where are you? Through the book of Malachi, God saying, Israel, I love you. And Israel saying, well, how have you loved me? Paul in the book of Romans, while we were sinners, Christ loved, Christ, Christ loved us. In 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Christ's love for us is what drives us to love each other, right? And what drives us to love those around us. So that's our main motivation. So in doing this, it's so critical to listen to what's going on. Another example from my context. Often when, um, often when a well-meaning Christian is talking to a Jewish person, one of the questions that they will ask is, well, what do you do with the sacrifices at the temple? You know, there's no more temple and there's no more sacrifice for sin. So when you're going through your daily life, how is it that you understand sacrifice for sin in your life? Now, I'll tell you, most Jewish people have no idea what any of those words mean. Recently, a conversation with um, my mother-in-law, who grew up in a very Jewish home, Long Island, she said to me, you know, I discovered something. Um, Yom Kippur, um, there was something in the Bible about Yom Kippur. I thought you just weren't supposed to eat. My dad, his big goal on Yom Kippur was to sneak out and get pizza, right? So in Judaism, 
in Jewish history, Jewish life made a critical change from temple to synagogue, from priest to rabbi, from sacrifice to deeds of righteousness, or in Hebrew, we call it mitzvot, okay? If you are wanting to talk to a Jewish person about Jesus, you must know that. You must understand that. Because if you don't, you're going to miss in your conversation with each other. And so knowing some of, the, some of that history and knowing how things changed is really, really important. A few years ago, I was listening to a, um, an interview with Tony Shaloub, who was in Monk, if you remember that show, and he was talking about raising his children. And he was saying that as his kids were growing, um, and they especially they entered into their 20s, what he had to come to recognize is that he had this idea of his children, and they were increasingly becoming different people. And as a parent, what he felt his really kind of draw to understand them was to kind of say, I know you better than you know you. I know the real you. Why? I raised you. And his children, you can imagine, <laughs> got a little frustrated and said, no, 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 you don't know me. And he really had to recognize that things go through, people go through changes. We've experienced that uh, in our own lives. I lived in New York City for 15 years, served in New York, um, really got to know New York, loved New York, left for 10 years, and I was back recently. It's a different New York. Um, I don't totally like the new New York. Not that the old New York was all that good to begin with, right? There was plenty of problems with the old New York, but I thought I know the old New York, the real New York, the true New York, the gritty New York, the New York where people were not smiling at you, right? The, the, the real New York where there was no like fancy coffee. It was terrible coffee that you got in like a paper bag. That's the real New York, you know? And so, man, we can feel that way about people, right? We can feel that way about neighborhoods. We can feel that way about Los Angeles. We can feel that way about Portland, especially in the, in the midst of so much dynamic change. When it's all, everything's changing so fast, where you drive down the street and say, man, that building was something totally different just a couple of years ago. It's disorienting. When it comes to evangelism, understanding where those changes are happening is really, really essential. Now, this might seem basic, I, and it really is, I guess I would say that, is that the process and the activity of evangelism is not really that complicated. You just have to sort of be thinking about some of these things of uh, 
empathy. And it leads into the next thing, which is active engagement. Simply talking to people you don't know. Now, I live in Los Angeles. We don't even talk to the people we do know. <laughs> we don't talk to anybody in Los Angeles. You kind of say, hey, do you know where this store is? People go, why are you talking to me? Or they scowl at you or something like that. You know, L.A. is a tough place for this. But getting into environments where you can talk to people that you don't know and you can practice that is essential. Jesus loving the world while the world was yet sinners, Jesus loving us while we were yet sinners is taking that initiative to build relationships. In the church, it starts here. We practice, in a sense, loving those uh, of, of us, loving each other here in the church, in a sense, so that it helps us go out into the world and love those around us. So it's a little scary to talk to someone that you don't know just walking down the street. Start by talking to someone here in the church that you don't know, and you start to get used to it. So you start to do this more. Um, honestly, that's a lot of what we do as missionaries. That might seem kind of simple and basic, and maybe it is, but that's a lot of what we do. We engage and create relationships with those around us. In our neighborhood, in our community, we're doing this in all different kinds of ways. I came to faith in Jesus from a secular Jewish home because some people that I worked with asked me about myself. They said, you know, Josh, do you have any things that you believe? And I said, well, I'm Jewish. And they said, oh, that's great. You're Jewish. That's wonderful. So what do Jewish people believe? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, do you believe in Moses? Do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he rose from the dead? And I responded, I said, I'm just Jewish. I don't really believe anything. So <laughs> if you're Jewish here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Ours is not a technical profession that you cannot do. I'm not a surgeon. I'm a communicator. I'm a person who acts out the commands that God has given all of us together. The only difference between me and you is that I perhaps have a little bit more time to do it. But you and I are both in the same boat on this. God has called us, God has loved us, he's empowered us, and he's given us opportunities to live in communities to share his word. And so my hope and prayer for you is the hope and prayer that I have in my own community. God, give me boldness, give me understanding, and give me opportunities. And I pray that for you in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Uh, I'll start off with, uh, with a question, Josh. Mm -hmm. 
It, it seems like you're saying that in order to talk to people about Jesus, you need to be able to talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go figure. Uh, you, you can, yeah, although you could do it on the computer too. So you at least <laughs> right. need to write or right. talk or verbalize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But how, I mean, uh, tongue in cheek aside, I guess, how do we maybe make progress in, in active listening, empathy, <laughs> understanding the people around us when we're, yeah. uh, we, we just feel like maybe in that initial encounter, we're just like having really awkward dead end, like I'm a pastor or I do this, I'm a Christian, and then the conversation just like drops. It's a great question. You practice here. This is your laboratory. You practice with each other. And where do you practice? At your house. Um, When we first came, we were invited to different people's homes. It was fantastic. The love that that this church poured out upon us was life-changing. And it transformed us. And what was going on? Lunch. You know, it was, hey, come on over. It was that. It wasn't anything really more difficult than that. So it's a lot of you already do this. Just so that you know, most of the people that I know in ministry are not extroverts. This is not the world of extroverts. Often people in ministry tend to be more introverted, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's, it's kind of ironic. And most people in ministry will say, this is kind of the last thing that I would imagine doing. So for most people, and I would say the same thing, it doesn't really come that natural, but I know that God wants me to do it. And I, and I have been able to, as I sort of put myself out there, um, God works. Amen. Yeah. So do something. A um, couple of questions. One, uh, really to do with your own life. One, uh, you mentioned that um, how you became a Christian began with people asking you what you believed yeah. as a Jew. Um, were they evangelists? That's my first question. And how, how, what was your experience as a, as a, a non-Christian of their approach to you, that conversation, or was it just random? And the second thing is, I, I really like the detail you gave in your short bio that you're one of four brothers, uh, only, and you're the only one who knows Jesus as Messiah. Um, what do your brothers make of you? What did your family make of you? It must have felt to them like a terrible, um, I'm guessing, a terrible betrayal. Yeah. Is that right? And, and how is it 20 years on? How, how long have you been a Christian? Uh, 1988, I came to faith. You do the math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how, how, how is it since 1988? Yeah. How are your relations with your family? Okay. So, um, let me back up. So, uh, no, the people that I worked with were not evangelists. They were Christians. Um, most of them would probably say they weren't even very good Christians. And so they were just people working. I was picking apples on an orchard in New Zealand, they were people that had a job that believed in Jesus. That was kind of who they were. Um, And so how did I feel that they were talking to me? Um, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I was kind of curious. I thought Christians and Christianity was ridiculous and idiotic and made no sense that the Bible was really a story of oppression because that's kind of what I was raised to believe, right? Um, 
but I'd also never met a Christian. <laughs> I'd never gone. I went to church a couple times, but it's for the youth group, and there was a girl, and never totally didn't work out, and all that stuff. But but I never went to church, you know. Um, we were secular Jews. The idea of faith in God was anathema. And the worst of the worst were the evangelical born-again Christians, but totally misunderstood them. Um, and so my, my family did feel betrayed and still feel betrayed. Uh, I've joined the other team. And as much as I've told them that's not really true, it still feels that way. Um, the last season, 20 years or so, especially the last 10 years, everything is filtered through politics. So everything gets sort of put into that mill that we all have become familiar with. Um, and, and it's tough, and it's tough. Uh, I have to understand that um, part of what my, my family is going through actually has nothing to do with me. It has to do with their own experience. And I also have to understand that I've really come to, to, to realize is that the betrayal that my family feels, and this might actually have some resonance for some of you here in Portland, has got nothing to do with being Jewish. It has to do with a way of seeing the world that is secular. And the Jewish community, by and large, has gone in on the secular world as the best source of survival for Jews and that the religious world is fundamentally unsafe. So that's the bigger issue that, that I think my parents are actually dealing with. And I misunderstood that, talking about what I said. I really misunderstood that for the first 10 years of my faith. So that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, there, <laughs> there's a lot more to say. What are some ways to overcome the, um, or navigate through a conversation where Jewish people, because you're a Gentile, you're a Christian. I even heard you this evening uh, make a distinction between Jewish people and Christian people, as opposed to Jewish people and Gentiles and the Gentiles mm -hmm may be Christian and the Gentiles may not be Christian. So growing up, I didn't know that there was a difference between a Gentile and a Christian. I thought they were the same. And in fact, I didn't really use the word Gentile that much. Um, uh, and so some of those categories and distinctions I wasn't so, so familiar with. But for most Jewish people, Every Christian is a Gentile, but every Gentile is a Christian, or maybe a Muslim. And so if it, it's sort of kind of expected that you're just, whatever it is, you're just not Jewish. So it's, a, it's definitely a separation there. How do you get by that? How do you get through that? Honestly, functioning in an empathetic way to understand ask questions, invite people in, um, share yourself, uh, that makes the biggest difference, you know? Um, yeah. 
Uh, it sounded like maybe you guys have a coffee shop. That you, yeah, I'm just curious how you use that as a platform for evangelism. Okay. So for a long time, Juice for Jesus was the guy on the street corner handing out tracts. I've handed out a lot of tracts in my day. <laughs> millions. I don't know, millions. A lot. Felt like millions. Um, and slow and slowly, that stopped working. And so you know what we did? We doubled down. And we said, oh, yeah, we'll show you that it works. And so we went even harder on the handing out of tracks. What does that mean? Huh? What does that mean you went harder on it? Like <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> well, we, we started doing it more often. Okay. We did campaigns. We went to cities that were not in. We actually went to Seattle. And we, would, and we said, we got to do this. And sometimes it went well, right? We, we went to a hemp fest in Seattle, All right? right? Yeah. And it was, um, uh, and it, it, the, the, so we wrote a, <laughs> <laughs> took you back there. Sorry, sorry, you got excited. So the, the, uh, so the tract, it was a card, but it, it started on, on the top. It said, did Jesus get stoned? The back, it said, no, he was crucified for you. And so we thought, oh, gosh, we're clever. Oh, man, this is so good. We're the best of tract writing people, you know? Good, yeah. <laughs> we were the only ones. So, um, so, so, and then it just like we kind of called it and said, it's just not working. Come on ourselves. And so we kind of got over ourselves, which took like 10 years. And so, <laughs> so we, we shifted up our strategy in Los Angeles. That's what I went to LA to do was to create a new vision for the Los Angeles area. And we realized that a lot of things had changed. We were not functioning with empathy, right? So what we did was we started listening. We took a year and a half, the first year and a half I was in Los Angeles, I just tried to learn. What's going on in this city? It's a bizarre city. I don't even know if it is a city. I don't know what it is. It's a blob, right? But it works, it has rules, it functions in a way. People are interested in things. People will not really drive to your house because it's 10 miles away, but they're happy to drive three hours because of something they're interested in. So that's an interest-based group. It's not, oh, it's organized. So all of that stuff. So what we went in on is a coffee shop art gallery. It's really more, uh, and I, we're still working on the art um, side. COVID's been tough for it because we haven't been able to meet. And so that is now our public-facing image uh, in Los Angeles. And... Um, it's been fantastic. It's really been working. So the coffee shop came out of a whole series of uh, questions that we were asking about whether or not we understand the world around us. The first thing that we had to realize was the answer is no. It was really hard to admit. But then once we did, it was so much easier because then we started learning. What would you, how would you encourage somebody who's dealing with that kind of like imposter syndrome? And then also, you know, what, what would you think is like a good 
in route towards reaching um, the Jewish people uh, of Portland. Okay. So what, I guess one of the first things that I would say is to understand that the gospel is a message for all people that all are invited to. And so um, it's, so there's nothing kind of special in that way about a particular group of people or a particular place or a city or a land or a lake. So um, the, the, the grace that we have in, in God's love for us is that he loves us in who we are. So therefore, we are the person that we can be. We don't have to be something else. So I think the imposter syndrome is, is something a lot of us struggle with. Um, and I think what, what I would hope is that as we mature, we become more comfortable with who we are, who God has made us, and that becomes the starting point or the platform for ministry. Many, many more Jewish people are coming to believe in Jesus through the witness of non-Jews than Jews. In Israel, for me at least, the most compelling witness are churches where you have an Arab pastor and a largely Jewish congregation, or the other way around, a Jewish pastor, a largely Arab congregation, and there are many. There are, um, the church in Israel is honestly still young, but growing. People are coming to faith. Um, people are growing. Churches are becoming better organized. Um, it, it's, it, it takes longer than we want, but it's moving in the right direction, and that's really encouraging. There's lots of ways to be involved. I can give you some ways after the, the, the message. What are some on-ramps or transitions that you have found to be helpful or that you all have found to be helpful in your everyday evangelism? Good. That's great. So these people in, in New Zealand, I just worked with them. I didn't know them before I went there. So was, they were kind of strangers to me. So the two things in terms of on-ramps, I would say there's, there's one thing there that, that Jesse showed. There was, a, there was a sign, kind of a large board. It was actually a piece of sheetrock that was a note that said, what did it say? We had like 10 different messages. Uh, that was the... What would you say to your future self? Yeah, sure. Yep. Okay. For some reason, right now, people love interacting with these questions about themselves. Love it. What would you say to yourself in five years? Those kinds of questions where you're interacting with yourself and you're kind of talking and engaging, especially if it's a board and you get to write notes and post-its and you get to see, those kinds of things have been incredibly effective, surprisingly so for me. And so um, I think it's that people like the opportunity to share something important in the context of other people sharing something important. So it's both an individual and a group experience because you have these questions of meaning and spirituality, but there's not a lot of environment, there's not a lot of permission that we have to even engage in those conversations. So they're sort of locked away. So looking for some creative ways to unlock them, I guess is what I would say. There you are. Um, second, 
and this is really what we're working on in Los Angeles, is art. And when I say art, I don't just mean painting or photography or something. What I mean is that art is a vehicle of communication. And art can be a third piece in a conversation between two people. So instead of saying to a person, um, you know, hey, what do you think about spiritual things? Or what do you think about this? Or these kinds of very direct conversations, you actually can have a conversation with another person through art, through a third piece. A cafe functions often, we talk about it as a third space. It's a similar idea. You have this third space of environment, of community. Art can become a third piece in a conversation. I would really encourage you. I think Portland is an ideal place to experiment with art as a vehicle and a means for proclaiming the gospel. But how specifically can Adrian lead us in prayer for, for you guys and for the ministry? Um, yeah, I would say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Annette out here as the primary thing. Um, Annette is serving as a missionary um, and is meeting with women who are interested in, in Jesus about, uh, she's meeting with, you know, usually a half a dozen or more a week. And many of these are, are women who are not believers, um, who have contacted us through our website often and um, pray for wisdom. We don't always know what to say. Um, pray that God would work in their hearts and pray then that they would have the opportunity to connect with communities where they can be rooted and grow and function and all of that kind of stuff. And it's happening, but just just pray that it keeps happening because it's it's great, actually. <laughs> so 